are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group. And there you'll also then be able to share your own thoughts and insights about today's readings. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches us how to pray and meditate, teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady, teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 256. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 650 to 656. 650. O cross, beloved of my soul, now prepared and ready to still my longings, come to me, that I may be received in thy arms, and that attached to them as on an altar, I may be accepted by the Eternal Father as the sacrifice of his everlasting reconciliation with the human race. In order to die upon thee, I have descended from heaven and assumed mortal and passable flesh. For thou art to be the scepter with which I shall triumph over all my enemies, the key with which I shall open the gates of heaven for all the predestined. Isaiah 22.22 The sanctuary in which the guilty sons of Adam shall find mercy, and the treasure house for the enrichment of their poverty. Upon thee I desire to exalt and recommend dishonor and reproach among men in order that my friends may embrace them with joy, seek them with anxious longings, and follow me on the path which I, through thee, shall open up before them. My Father and eternal God, I confess thee as the Lord of heaven and earth, subjecting myself to thy power and to thy divine wishes. I take upon my shoulders the wood for the sacrifice of my innocent and passable humanity, and I accept it willingly for the salvation of men." Receive thou, eternal Father, this sacrifice as acceptable to thy justice, in order that from today on they may not any more be servants, but sons and heirs of the kingdom together with me. 651. None of these sacred mysteries and happenings were hidden from the great lady of the world, Mary, for she had a most intimate knowledge and understanding of them, far beyond that of all the angels. The events which she could not see with the eyes of her body she perceived by her intelligence and revealed science, which manifested to her the interior operation of her Most Holy Son. By this divine light she recognized the infinite value of the wood of the cross after once it had come to contact with the deified humanity of Jesus our Redeemer. Immediately she venerated and adored it in a manner befitting it. The same was also done by the heavenly spirits attending upon the Queen, she imitated her divine Son in the tokens of affection, with which he received the cross, addressing it in the words suited to her office, as co-adjutrix of the Redeemer. 
by her prayers to the Eternal Father, she followed him in his exalted sentiments as the living original and exemplar, without failing in the least point. When she heard the voice of the herald publishing and rehearsing the sentence through the streets, the Heavenly Mother in protest against the accusations contained in the sentence, and in the form of comments on the glory and honor of the Lord, composed a canticle of praise and worship of the innocence and sinlessness of her all-holy Son and God. In the composing of this canticle, the holy angels helped her. Conjointly with them, she arranged and repeated it, while the inhabitants of Jerusalem were blaspheming their own Creator and Savior. 652. As all the faith, knowledge, and love of creatures during this time of the Passion was enshrined in its highest essence in the magnanimous soul of the Mother of Wisdom, she alone had the most proper conception correct judgment of the suffering and death of God for men, without for a moment failing in the attention necessary to exterior actions. Her wisdom penetrated all the mysteries of the redemption and the manner in which it was to be accomplished through the ignorance of the very men who were to be redeemed. She entered into the deepest consideration of the dignity of the one who was suffering, of what he was suffering, from and for whom he was suffering, of the dignity of the person of Christ our Redeemer, uniting with himself the divine and the human natures, of their perfections and attributes, the most blessed Mary alone possessed the highest and intuitive knowledge outside of the Lord himself. On this account, she alone, among all mere creatures, attached sufficient importance to the passion and death of her Son, and of the true God. Of what he suffered, she was not only an eyewitness, but she experienced it personally within herself, occasioning the holy envy not only of men, but of the angels themselves who were not thus favored. But they well knew that their great queen and mistress felt and suffered in soul and body the same torments and sorrows as her most holy son, and that the holy trinity was inexpressibly pleased with her. And therefore they sought to make up by their praise and worship for the pains which they could not share. Sometimes, when the sorrowful mother could not personally witness the sufferings of her son, she was made to feel in her virginal body and in her spirit the effects of his torments before her intelligence made her aware of them. Thus surprised, she would say, Ah, what new martyrdom have they devised for my sweetest lord and master? And then she would receive the clearest knowledge of what the Lord was enduring. The most loving mother was so admirably faithful in her sufferings and in imitating the example of Christ our God that she never permitted herself any easement either of her bodily pains such as rest or nourishment or sleep nor any relaxation of the spirit such as any consoling thoughts or considerations except when she was visited from on high by divine influence. Then only would she humbly and thankfully accept relief in order that she might recover strength to attend still more fervently to the object of her sorrows and to the cause of his sufferings, the same wise consideration. She applied to the malicious behavior of the Jews and their servants, to the needs of the human race, to their threatening ruin, and to the ingratitude of men for whom he suffered. Thus she perfectly and intimately knew all of these things and felt it more deeply than all the creatures. 653. Another hidden and astonishing miracle was wrought by the hand of God through the instrumentality of the Blessed Mary against Lucifer and his infernal spirits. It took place in the following manner. The dragon and his associates, though they could not understand the humiliation of the Lord, were most attentive to all that happened in the passion of the Lord. Now, when he took himself upon the cross, all these enemies felt a new and mysterious tremor and weakness, which caused in them great consternation and confused distress. 
Conscious of these unwanted and invisible feelings, the Prince of Darkness feared that in the passion and death of Christ our Lord, some dire and irreparable destruction of his reign was imminent. In order not to be overtaken by it, the presence of Christ our God, the dragon, resolved to retire and fly with all his followers to the caverns of hell. But when he sought to execute this resolve, he was prevented by the great queen and mistress of all creation. For the Most High, enlightening her and intimating to her what she was to do, and at the same time invested her with his power. The Heavenly Mother, turning toward Lucifer and his squadrons by her imperial command, hindered them from flying, ordering them to await and witness the Passion to the end on Mount Calvary. The demons could not resist the command of the Mighty Queen, for they recognized and felt the divine power operating in her. Subject to her sway, they followed Christ as so many prisoners dragged along in chains to Calvary, where the eternal wisdom had decreed to triumph over them, from the throne of the cross, as we shall see later on. There is nothing which can exemplify the disagreement and dismay which from that moment began to oppress Lucifer and his demons. According to our way of speaking, they walked along to Calvary, like criminals condemned to a terrible death and seized by the dismay and consternation of an inevitable punishment. This punishment of the demon was in conformity with his malicious nature and proportioned to the evil committed by him in introducing death and sin into the world, to remedy which God himself was now undergoing death. 654. Our Savior proceeded on the way to Calvary, bearing upon his shoulders, according to the saying of Isaiah, his own government and principality, Isaiah 9.6, which was none else from his cross, from whence he was to subject and govern the world, meeting thereby that his name should be exalted above all other names, and rescuing the human race from the tyrannical power of the demon over the sons of Adam, Colossians 2.15. The same Isaiah calls it the yoke and scepter of the oppressor and executor, who is imperiously exacting the tribute of the first guilt, in order to destroy this tyrant and break the scepter of his reign and the yoke of our servitude. Christ our Savior placed the cross upon his shoulders, namely upon the place where are born both the yokes of slavery and the scepter of royal power. He wished to intimate thereby that he despoiled the demon of this power and transferred it to his own shoulders, in order that thenceforward the captive children of Adam should recognize him for their legitimate lord and true king. All mortals were to follow him in the way of the cross, and learn that by this cross they were subjected to his power, and now become his vassals and servants, bought by his own life, Balad. 6.55 But alas, the pity of our most ungrateful forgetfulness, that the Jews and ministers of the Passion should be ignorant of this mystery hidden to princes of this world, and that they should not dare touch the cross of the Savior, because they consider it the wood of ignominy and shame, which was their own fault and a very great one. Yet not so great as our own, since its mysteries being already revealed to us, we spend our indignation only on the blindness of those who are persecuting our Lord and God. For if we blame them for being ignorant of what they ought to have known, how much should we blame ourselves, who, knowing and confessing Christ our Redeemer, persecute and crucify him by our offenses? O my sweetest love, Jesus, light of my intellect and glory of my soul, do not, O my Lord, trust in my sluggish torpidity to follow thee with my cross on the way. Take it upon thee to do me this favor, draw me after thee to run after the fragrance of thy sweetest love, of thy ineffable patience, of thy deepest humility, that I may desire for contempt and anguish, and seek after participation in thy ignominy, insults, and sorrows. Let this be my portion and my inheritance in this mortal and oppressing life. 
Let this be my glory and my repose, and outside of the cross and its ignominy, I desire not to live or be consoled or to partake of any of the rest or enjoyment. As the Jews and all that blind multitude avoided the touch of the cross of him, who was so innocently sentenced to die upon it, he opened with it a passage and cleared for himself away. His perfidious persecutors looked upon his glorious dishonor as a contagion, and they fled from its approach. Though all the rest of the streets were full of shouting and clamoring people, who crowded aside as the herald advanced proclaiming the sentence. 656. The executioners, bare of all human compassion and kindness, dragged our Savior Jesus, along with incredible cruelty and insults. Some of them jerked him forward by the ropes in order to accelerate his passage, while others pulled from behind in order to retard it. On account of this jerking and the weight of the cross, they caused him to sway to and fro, and often to fall to the ground. By the hard knocks he thus received on the rough stones, great wounds were opened, especially on the two knees, and they were widened at each repeated fall. The heavy cross also inflicted a wound on the shoulder on which it was carried. The unsteadiness caused the cross sometimes to knock against his sacred head, and sometimes the head against the cross. Thus the thorns of his crown penetrated deeper and wounded the parts which they had not yet reached. To these torments of the body, the ministers of evil added many insulting words and execrable affronts, ejecting their impure spittle and throwing the dirt of the pavement into his face so mercilessly that they blinded the eyes that looked upon them with such divine mercy. Thus they, of their own account, condemned themselves to the loss of the graces with which his very looks were fraught. By the haste with which they dragged him along in their eagerness to see him die, they did not allow him to catch his breath. For his most innocent body, having been in so few hours overwhelmed with such a storm of torments, was so weakened and bruised, that to all appearances he was ready to yield up life under his pains and sorrows. This concludes our reading today for day number 256. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 21, Paragraphs 650 to 656. We hear today, again, repeated, that Our Lady witnesses all of these things, even if she wasn't physically there, that interiorly she knew them, she saw them in a vision, she was able to witness the passion of Jesus. And what that does to a mother's heart, I can't even fathom, I can't even imagine what Our Lady was experiencing in those moments. And then we hear today that all mortals were to follow him in the way of the cross and learn that by this cross they were subjected to his power, and now become his vassals and servants, bought by his own lifeblood. That the way of the cross is to be a pattern of our life. That's the lesson of the cross. As we understand it, as we walk the way of the cross by listening to these accounts of Maria Bagrida, the heavy cross also inflicted a wound on the shoulder on which it was carried. If I'm not mistaken, one of the saints of our tradition, maybe it was Padre Pio, maybe it was someone else, but they were asked, well, what was the greatest wound that Jesus suffered? And they said it was the wound on his shoulder, that on that wound on the shoulder, he carried the weight of the world's sins. That's your sins, those are my sins. 
that Jesus is carrying. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.